Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Good day. My name is Enrique Alvarez, and I'm with Vector Global Logistics. This is another very exciting episode of Logistics with Purpose. Adrian, how are you doing today? Welcome. Good. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Looking forward to a great conversation with Steve. I know. We have a very good guest today, and it's a very interesting, hot, and sexy industry as well, something that's probably going to be the future, not only for us, but for the entire world. So we're really happy and uh, very excited to have him here. Great. Um, Steve, great to be chatting to you today. I'd like to introduce uh, Stephen Horniak, Chief Commercial Officer and Executive Director of BrightDrop. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be chatting to you. Absolutely. My, my pleasure, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, to kick us off, uh, Steve, tell us a little about where you grew up and a little about your childhood. So, absolutely. So, I grew up in a small town in central New Jersey, Hamilton Square, New Jersey. So, um, grew up there. I was an avid athlete, uh, mainly soccer player. In fact, I played oh, soccer yes. in uh, I played soccer in university as well. So two thumbs um, up. Two thumbs up. <laughs> who's so who's your team? Play. You. This is very rare in the show because we have interviewed a lot of people, and Adrian and I are crazy soccer fans, but we have never really interviewed someone that shared our passion <laughs> for the exactly. sport. So, I mean, I'm a I'm a man, you guy. I mean, oh, I oh come so, on! You, you know, I, it's it's like well, it's like the Yankees. But <laughs> the thing is, I I've actually been to Man U games. You know, I've have traveled really? over. I have, and I've been to I've been to so many games. Yeah, this is me. This um, is me I've been to Barcelona games, and it's uh, it, it's just a whole new experience. Yeah. It, it's a whole. It's an all. I've been to Chelsea games, uh, so it's just fantastic. And, and I'm glad to see U.S. has embraced soccer now or football, right? The proper football. Absolutely, um, yeah. But uh, no, I, I grew up, and I actually grew up as a surf rat. So we uh, yeah, grew up on the beach at the Jersey Shore, and uh, was a lifeguard and surf rat down there, and uh, and worked in the family business at an early age, which was sporting goods business. So uh, did that, and then went down to school at Virginia Tech, and uh, got my master's uh, and undergraduate at Virginia Tech, and then uh, and then off to life it was down there. I met met my wife in college. And uh, she said her head hurt if she went north. So we, we've been south ever since. Sounds great. And again, thank you so much for giving us some time. I know you're a very busy person. And uh, thank you for that. Looking back a little bit, I mean, what story from your early days um, do you remember that kind of shaped who you are and kind of what you do now? Yeah, no, a, a great question. I, I think there's really, I'll point out two things. One is that um, my mom had always pushed me to be the best at everything that I did. And that was from school to sports to life. So um, she was, I would say, you know, she wasn't hard on me, but she was very uh, in guiding me in, through this thing called life. And that, and that really set a strong foundation. And then the other thing was, um, you know, my, my, my father's electrical engineer, but he was very passionate about sports. 
And when I was in early teens, he did something crazy. He went out and he bought a local sporting goods store. Nice. And that was that was before Dick's Sporting Goods and all these mega stores used to have, I don't even remember, used to have like the mom and pop stores, like, yes. like sporting goods stores in the neighborhood. So we had a local mom and pop sporting wow. goods store that we owned. And, and I, I worked in it. So I literally, I was, you know, from school to sports to working. And that's what I did. So I was 100% of the time, never even knew what a couch was, right? I mean, I was just totally active the entire time. And, and I think what was really one of the interesting turning points was after a couple of years in the business, he pulled me aside and he said, all right, son, you've been working, you've been selling sneakers, you've been doing this, doing that. Now I'm going to teach you what it's all about. And I said, all right, dad, what am I going to do? And he said, well, the Nike salesman's coming in. And I want you to select what we're going to buy for next season, right? You had to come in and buy. And guess what? I'm not going to pay you your hourly fee anymore. I'm going to pay you based on how well what you select sells <laughs> in our family store. Clever man. So it, it really, it really it kind of introduced me to this whole pay for performance or commission. And, and it really was honestly transformational in my life because that really opened my eyes up. Number one, number two is. I liked it because now I bought stuff. I was paying attention to it. I was helping sell it. I was monitoring it. I was promoting it, what I bought into the store. And I actually took, it was a game to me. And I made more money doing that than I did under a base salary. And so that really was a transformational moment for me. And I thank my father for that. Wow. They both sound like great great people. It sounds like you had an amazing uh, schooling in your household. No, we we did. It was uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, fantastic up and coming, and and great parents. What was that? What was the name of the uh, store? It was Sports Barn. So Sports the reason why it was Sports Barn was it was a separate two car garage on a house, and they turned the house into an insurance agency. And it was a separate two car garage that we turned into a sporting goods store. And then we later moved into I call it you know the classic strip mall, larger traditional yeah. format. But we started off in essence a barn, so it was a sports barn. That's awesome. Other than other than maybe uh, is it played against Sam? I'm I'm not aware of any smaller kind of mom and pop sports store at, at the moment. Yeah, that's a fran- that's a franchise, so I wouldn't even say that's small anymore. There's it's very, exactly. it's very a franchise few. as well. You're right. Yeah, Correct it is. Now. It is. There's, there's very few. There are some in some smaller town U.S., but um, you know it, it's really gone. It's really gone away um, when some of the mega stores came up. Right. Yeah. So, Steve, if you, with all your years of experience now, if you could uh, go back and have a chat to your 21-year-old self, uh, what what professional, personal <laughs> advice would you share with that? Oh, my gosh. I, 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 a ton, a lot. You know, it would be awesome to go in a time machine back and actually live life again with all the learnings that you have. And actually, I, I, a side note, I actually thoroughly enjoy uh, what I'll call coaching um, young kids, right? I, I really do help advising young kids, whether they're in college or if I can, um, you know, I, I've taught classes in college as kind of a guest speaker or different types of activity like that. I, I really do thoroughly enjoy it. And they're just sponges, you know, they really do, you know, listen and learn and and, and yeah. want to have different experience. But I would say, you know, a, a couple of things. One is um, don't fe- fear failure, you know, a lot of times you know, people just fear failure and it causes them to, I'll, I'll say, go down paths in life that um, really they're, they're, they don't want to do, but they, they're, they're fearing that failure. So I stare in the face, embrace failure, you know, learn from it, use it as a motivation. 
Um, you know, as it relates to that, I would say embrace change. You know, it's one of the biggest things that I've learned, especially in work, because um, I've seen far too many people get kind of stuck in a certain career path. And then they're going, well, Steve or Mr. Horniak would refer to me as, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, five years, six years. I just feel like I got to, I'm like, what? Why? Why do you, you don't need to change. That's okay. Exactly. So many experiences are transferable, right? I mean, I'm a software tech guy and I'm involved in a wholly and subsidiary General Motors now. And later in life, I mean, I'm blessed to be in this situation. Um, and, and I would say the last thing, if I, and I like things in three, I would say um, outwork the competition. And hard work beats intelligence unless you have a really hardworking, intelligent person, right? There's, no, your, right. There's, your, there's your deadly combination, <laughs> right? There's your deadly combination. But I have found that in sports and in life and in work that that grinding and outworking and, and hustling is uh, really allowed you to succeed um, in, in, uh, in, all, in so many different ways. That will just, and, yep. and yeah. And a lot of people are, are just not, you know, I'm saying, you know, don't be work, work your butt off. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and it'll, it'll pay in dividends. It absolutely will pay in dividends. I'm not right. saying all hours, right. Focus hard work. You don't have to work a hundred hours a week. Yeah, concentrated. I mean, yeah, concentrated. Yeah, but I'll work. I'll work your competition. Exactly. There's okay. no and, and um, going back to any point. Yeah, twenty-one year olds don't have to have it all figured out, right? No, they don't. No, they don't. They I can. Mean, make it's uh, yeah, they can make mistakes and and they can learn and they can change. Right, Steve. And I um something that I I was asked uh, recently, I think it was two weeks ago, which is similar to this question, but I'll just put a little spin on it before we move into your professional career. Uh, what would that 21-year-old uh, advise you now uh, that you should probably do more of or, or whatever? What would be, <laughs> flipping it around, what would that answer be? That surfer, surfer Brad soccer player back then. <laughs> Um, you know, I, that's a really interesting question. I, the reason why I've said that is I know what my, my, you know, what my son and my wife would say is, is, Hey dad, you in great shape and you put on a couple of LBs around the midsection. So, <laughs> they, but, uh, um, no, that's, uh, you know, interesting. I'm, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, part of it would say just ensure, ensure that you're enjoying life. I mean, so many people get so wrapped up in, so many things that they're not pausing to take it in, breathe, and enjoy life. And um, by all means, that is that is paramount with both the culture that I put forth in my teams and companies that I'm with. I'm hyper competitive person, but by all means, we're on this God given planet to enjoy right. life. And there's things well outside of of the office that drives that. You know, you need to enjoy your your job, but enjoy life. So I, that's probably the biggest thing. And and you know, I went through I went through stages like we all do, where you know I was a workaholic and 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 I didn't have that much of a life because of the stresses and pressures of being a twenty something that that you know was on a high uh, trajectory path. Right. Um, so that that's just the one. I, I think that would be the main thing I would, I would tell myself or amplify to myself or reinforce yeah. to myself. Well, and now with that said, and thank you so much for sharing, um, let's talk about your professional journey. You mentioned briefly that you're a software and technology, but you also did marketing and business development. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about how you started down this path? Uh, absolutely. So I'm, uh, I'm a 
mechanical engineer MBA combination. And I was probably one of those odd people that I actually, when, when going to college, I actually knew what I wanted to do at that point in time, knew what I wanted to do in the past was get a degree in engineering from a top engineering school, get a master's in business. That'll be your foundation. And then go to work for the big six. It was the big six back then consulting uh, firms in their consulting practice, go there for a couple of years. Then you can decide what you want to do. That that'll be the foundation to allow you to go in whatever direction that you needed to go, which is what I did. And I went to work for PricewaterhouseCoopers at a graduate school. Uh, I went to college when I was 17 years old. So I was young in college and uh, graduated with a master's degree fairly young. So got a quick, good start on, uh, on career path. And, uh, and from there, I was approached to go over to this little tiny company out in, um, in California called Oracle. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, I, I'm just small startup, myself, right? right? It was like, yeah, the dinosaurs were doing databases back then. But it, it was, uh, you know, approach to do that. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, I, I thought about it. And then I said, you know what? This, this could be interesting. So I went over to Oracle, had some other people that I knew had gone there. So I went over there and it's consulting group. I was a tech guy. Right. I literally was, I was kind of a, you know, tech in the consulting services. And um, after a, about a year and a half of, at Oracle, I got approached by people over on the, on the sales team. And uh, they said, Steve, we want to pull you over to our team in technical sales or sales engineering and, you know, representing a product. And to this day, that actually was my favorite job is sales engineering because you didn't have the weight and burden of the quota but you were customer facing and representing an evangelized right. product. Um, and then from there, you know, I got, I got, uh, got pulled away from Oracle. Didn't, didn't really want to, but got approached from a uh, startup company out of Atlanta, Georgia. The company's name was SQL financials at that point in time, seven employees. And uh, they brought me on as head of sales. And I, I took over marketing and, and was blessed and fortunate enough to do my first IPO as a form for officer in my low thirties. And, uh, and then from there, I've been a serial entrepreneur ever since, you know, uh, building six different uh, startup companies, um, you know, took uh, one other company public, a third company that I was uh, CEO of America's was, is a planned, planned IPO here shortly, did a bunch of sales of companies, did a bunch of acquisitions of companies, and, and bottom line is a tech accelerator, taking smallish type company. And taking it over the chasm, if you're a big Jeffrey Moore fan, over the chasm and into, into the tornado of uh, of activity. Wow. So that is that's been that's what I've been doing for the past thirty plus thirty plus years. Did you always was it part of your regular plan? I guess I mean you always wanted to be a serial entrepreneur uh, at some point, or <laughs> you know that really wasn't the plan to, per se. But once I went and did it once. Um, it was it was addictive. Um, so uh, I enjoyed it. I, I was actually good at it. Um, it was something that you know, motivated me. And, and even now, um, you know, I, I, I will you know, advise, you know, I, I've got a lot of people that will come to me for advice and starting companies and others. And I actually enjoy uh, helping people think about startup companies and what they need to do. That's my, you know, that's kind of my Instead of watching TV or or you know sitting on the couch, I'll I'll get on the phone at night and people give me a call and say, "Hey, Steve, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think?" Uh, so right. I, I just I just thoroughly enjoy that. Now you've held you've held uh, multiple positions across multiple companies. So how did you find yourself uh, landing at Bright Drop? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was you know that's how it, life it's, works. Yeah. Well, here's so. 
it, it's really actually it's a really interesting story and, uh, and i'll say god works in mysterious ways that's what my wife says so um I was approached by a recruiter and that you get approached all the time. Right. And, you know, people, you know, trying to, and she said, no, there's a really interesting opportunity. It's an all electric last mile. They're doing it's a general motors funded holding a subsidiary. And I was like, it just sounded, I was trying to figure it out. And just luck happens that Travis Katz, our, our CEO, uh, he lives in Palo Alto area. And I was actually out there on business when this recruiter called me, I was like, well, I'm out on the West coast right now. And they go, well, let me see if Travis can meet you for a well, coffee. <laughs> so I actually met Travis the next morning for a coffee. And, um, and he and I instantly, instantly got along. We were incredibly aligned in both. You know, he was a technology guy, an entrepreneur. Um, he and I were about the same age. We've done a lot of similar things. Um, you know, aligned so much on the way that you run businesses, grow businesses. Um, and, and I looked at this, I'm going wow, this is kind of interesting. I can actually go to a startup company. Right. But the two things that are really hard for startup companies, like just really hard, raising money yes. and scaling on an international basis. Those two things, honestly, I don't really have to worry about because of our parent company. Right. We've got yeah. one of the largest global right. manufacturers in the world and they're funding us, right? So we could focus on building this business. That was really exciting. The other thing yeah. is that, um, really making a difference, right? And, and as we move forward, you know, and, and the move to zero tailpipe emissions, uh, the move from ice, you know, internal combustion engines to electric, it, it's a natural, um, and it's not even an evolution, it's a transformation. The last time we went through this, we actually fed our vehicle, right? We fed the horse. Um, right. You know, so we're, we're, you know, I looked at it and said, wow, I can be part of this entire industry transformation. I can leverage what I've done as a, accelerator uh, business accelerator right and oh by the way the last thing was i've never built a company from zero to a billion dollars or more of revenue i've done it to value right multiple times of so multi-billions of dollars of value but never revenue so it kind of all came together and then the last thing is i'm a car guy i love right. cars <laughs> and and my wife looked at it she said yeah. oh my gosh it took 30 plus years for you to find an opportunity where you can blend your passion for cars right. with your experience in startup yeah. technology accelerator. Right. So it, it worked out. Everything I'll be honest with you. It, it, it sounds it like the stars aligned and it was an amazing opportunity. Exactly. And it sounds like you're just, just judging by how you're describing this whole process. I mean, you, you must be having fun. It sounds like you're excited. It sounds like you're proud yeah. and really, really it's optimistic, it's awesome. right? Uh, uh, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I get up every morning, smile, and That's... and you know, be I'm thankful. And we build a great team over here. We're continuing to build a great team. We're making a difference. We're uh, really you know looking at dominating uh, an emerging space and uh, and having a blast doing it. I mean, really looking at making a difference. So it's um. You know, it, it's been absolutely awesome over the last little more than a year. And I really look forward to the next several years of uh, building this thing to to being big. We can we can Absolutely. certainly feel the energy through even through Zoom right yeah, now. So Absolutely. So for people that don't really know about Bride Drop and what it is, and in particular, the mission of the company and kind of your role there, what, what can you tell them, uh, people that are listening to us? What What is Bride Drop? So, uh, so Bride Drop was actually started and incubated within General Motors. So General Motors, they've got a technology incubation lab, right? And there's really three outcomes of that lab. One is it becomes a product within General Motors. 
Two is it dies. And three is it can be spun out to a wholly owned subsidiary or similar. Um, so they looked at this opportunity as total green space for the company and elected to spin it out into its whole separate, you know, separate company, but a wholly owned company. So in other words, we're 100% owned by, uh, by General Motors today. And really what the company is doing is reimagining the commercial delivery and logistics industry, focusing on all and all electric future. So, but it's not just about the vehicle. There's much more than just the vehicle. It's a lot of software. It's a lot of other ways of moving products, right? There's a whole wave of micro mobility. You know, the first of which is our Trace e-car. And Trace, by the way, is e-car backwards. If you hadn't figured that out, um, <laughs> which is our, which is whole looking at a whole containerization strategy of how you take packages and go through a containerization approach in order to optimize the movement of that product through the ecosystem. Um, so, you know, what we're building is really reimagining. It's again, looking at the entire space of moving product. The last mile in e-commerce is, is the, I'll say the first vertical that we're focusing on, but there's a number of other different applications out there where we can take our products and software um, and mobility solutions and apply them. All right. So Steve, that, 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 uh, that um, lends itself to me asking the next question. How did, you, how did you come to focus on the last mile delivery? What were the thought process behind that? It, well, it's exploding, guys, right? I mean, you look at e-commerce. It was already moving quickly. The pandemic hit, and it was actually throwing gasoline onto an already burning inferno, right? And then putting a big old fan on it. So, you know, the, the e-commerce has absolutely exploded, and, and it's, it's continuing to grow, right? I mean, we're, we're you know, we're, we're out of the pandemic, um, right. but the e-commerce business is continuing to grow. So we looked at that and said, you know, E-commerce is growing. Its movement of product to households is growing. That's bringing tailpipe emissions closer to where we live. So it's an incredible fit for an electric vehicle. And it's an incredible use case because the amount of mileage under, you know, with these planned trips of using this type of vehicle to do. Um, that and the fact that 50% of the cost of actually delivering a product or getting a product into a pe- person's hands from e-commerce, 50% of it is that last mile part of it. It's a last mile. So, it, yeah, it, it's just there's so much, there's so many efficiencies that can be brought to this space. And companies are getting squeezed because us as the consumers, uh, we've really got a mindset of a click and have to have it now, right? right. You know, it used to be three days used to be okay, right? And then all of a sudden, yeah, you got two days, yeah. you're like, ooh, I that's, that's, that's too long. Yeah. Now it's immediate. Now, now you get the net. Now, if you don't get the next day, you're a little upset. You're like, what do you mean? Exactly. I order something. That's moving the same day in a lot of areas. So, with that, you're moving a lot more product, and there's a lot more opportunity to squeeze and get efficiencies in that whole package movement space. No, definitely. Kind of consumer patterns and trends are definitely disrupting like the overall logistics and supply chain we know. Uh, and we saw it during the pandemic. But on a different note, um, on the Bright Drop website, you say, and, and I quote, uh, the way we ship and receive packages is changing. I mean, can you unpack this a little bit? And we were just starting to touch on the surface of this and how quickly it is changing. But uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I think the biggest part of that change is the impatience of the consumer. And, and, and when you move from, one, you know, basically when you move from three days where you can optimize, you can optimize density of, of package, you can optimize the trips and the packing and everything else. When you move that to next day, it gets really, really hard. 
Then when you move it the same day, it gets super hard. So I think when you know, when you look at that, what we're really talking about is is this kind of on-demand society and the on-demand requirements and demands that won't let up and how to do that and still make money, right? So, you know, what I say to a lot of people is, hey, Bright Drop is it's great for the environment, but it's even better for your profit and loss statement and balance sheet. So when you really look at the costs associated with it and moving from an ICE vehicle to an EV, depending upon your cost of electricity and your cost of fuel, which is, you know, we know it went up, it's coming back down, but, you know, operating costs for um, an EV in our space on the low end, $7,500 up to possibly even close to $20,000, $20,000 a year in some of the high priced areas of operational cost, right? These things just don't require as much maintenance. And, um, you know, and, and the cost of, of fueling them with electricity significantly less than putting diesel or gas in it. So when you look at an area where the companies that are delivering these packages and you expect it for free, i.e. it's blended into the price and the margin, somebody's got to pick that cost set up. So the price has already been set at the market. It's free delivery. That's already there. So the only way to increase your margins is to decrease your cost. And moving to an electrified, optimized future, uh, like a platform like Brightdrop, is absolutely the way to go. Great. So, Steve, talk, getting into the world of, of groceries and grocery shopping and so forth, tell us about the Trace Grocery Program um, and the impetus behind that. Oh, absolutely. So we, we start off, and again, we talk about Brightdrop, entire ecosystem, whole solution, product movement. So I, I think of it as kind of like, like I think of the Apple ecosystem, right? You buy one Apple product, you buy another. They, they, just, they just harmoniously work brilliantly in the background through the software and infrastructure. Right. Um, so that's the same thing we're looking at doing and, and have done between you know, our vehicles, our EVs, and, and our, our e-carts and with future mobility solutions uh, as we move forward. So just a harmoniously working system. So we looked at that. And the first uh, product we looked at was for Trace was moving of parcels in dense areas. And, you know, FedEx was uh, one of our initial customers in that. We've got a couple, a dozen um, deployments underway as well uh, with the Trace e-cart um, on for parcel movement. And the whole premise there is kind of bifurcate the process between truck movement and then last hundred yards. Truck can come up, drop off the Trace e-cart, save the package, and you've got runners. Those runners can go deliver the package truck can go grab more and bring it back. And we found that uh, in our tests, 25% more packages can be delivered using this type of containerization smart container. What happened was we looked at it and, and myself and some others, we came and we did a lot of work in the grocery e-commerce space. Right. We said, you know what? This could have an interesting application there. And, um, and, and we started talking with some of grocery customers and Kroger is a, an early adopter evangelistic type company. They're like, you know what, this, this might work. So the whole focus on it was um, in, in e-commerce and grocery, the grocery stores are actually perfectly set places for e-commerce delivery. They're close to the customers. That's what they're designed to right. do. I came from the robotics and automation space before this and micro fulfillment and automation has its place, but you've got to have a certain amount of volume and a certain amount of density and that's about 10% of the grocery stores out there. Now, hey, the other 90%, they're still picking in store, right? So you got people going the aisles and picking. Then they either have to deliver it or what's come up a lot more now is click and collect. So people are like, 
I don't leave my groceries sitting on my doorstep, right? It's like mm-hmm. food. And, you know, and I'm not sure I'm going to be there or when it's going to get delivered. And the grocery store's right around the corner. I can pick it up on my way home or just run an errand and pick it up. Um, so we saw Craig Face Grocery as an opportunity to optimize the in-store picking to staging to pickup scenario. And, and that is what we're focusing on. So what we actually found was that the whole staging area where you take product, it gets picked off the shelves, you put it in bags and you fit it in a freezer or a refrigerator or a shelf. Then that process, unpack it, put it on there. Customer comes, I got to go find it, take it out to them, right? Very time consuming. We actually, with our Trace Grocery Pocket, we've just, we've removed that entire staging area because you're picking right into this smart container that can keep the product fresh for up to six hours and and ultimately allow it to be for a self-service type mode. So picks picks into it, it goes straight out the curb, customers come up and the product goes right out into it, ultimately in a self-service locker-based situation. So it saves time, allows the grocery operators to, to get more revenue and more productivity at the same labor. Um, and also gets customers a much better um, customer right. service experience. So, so, so a great, great use case for it. Yeah, I, I saw on your website that there's a the the, the cart is that white cart looks like a chest of drawers, right? And the one cart, the is. one drawer is out, and there's a packet of uh, it looks like some bottles of something and a bag of fruit. I see some melons in there, and that's that's right. out. So, so how does that how does that that work then? That would that would is that at the front of the of the store actually no outside outside actually so you, outside. yeah so think of it as like a, the customer's name on it or how do they know that that so it's, it's a smart locker so it knows when steve hornyak pulls up that steve hornyak through the app is on the the trace number one two three and yeah. the drawers number you know two three and four for my order and so it knows what what tracy cart and what what actual bins are associated with my particular order. Now, right, right now, the initial testing is going to be done. It'll be human assisted with the cars coming out curbside. People will come up. They'll they'll know based on the app. Okay, it's here. It's here. They, they will will assist them getting in, kind of like an assisted self checkout, if you think of it that way. Right. Um, and you see how efficient that's where that's worked. Then right. ultimately, the e car can then be fully automated so that when I pull up, you actually will it, it will you know, say, okay, here's where you need to go. I can go get my own, fetch my own groceries no, myself. Okay. Off I go, reducing labor costs, right? So that that's right. A, a big part of it. Right. That is incredible. And it is. Yeah. And so um, I, I saw that Kroger actually um, underwent a, a pilot program, right? Um, I don't know what period that was for, but what did, what, did they, what did they find during that pilot program to make them think, right, we're on to a real winner here? Yeah, and there, and we're still we're still in I'll pilot in the early stages of uh, of the phase rollout with uh, with Koga right now. So what they found was actually they could remove the staging area, which is huge. Right. So they got space back. They don't have to buy freezers. That's expensive, right? They don't have to buy refrigerators. That's expensive. Um, right. And so they've removed that whole process. They found that they're they're time to serve. So in other words, when a customer pulls up, the time from when that customer pulls up to when the groceries are in the trunk. That has actually gone down. And that's one of their key KPIs that they're measuring. And they've actually found that the overall time to serve, so in other words, how much it costs me to take an order all the way through from receiving it online 
to getting it in someone's trunk has gone down um, and gone down. And so all of those, you know, it, it's taking them in the direction that, wow, this is actually, it's a transformational, transformational product. Right. No, that sounds uh, sounds amazing. Yeah, it's very interesting yeah. and very exciting too, right? Because it could disrupt not only supply chain, but also the way we think about groceries and buying. And there's just so many different things that we'll have to think about uh, and it will save a lot of time for people. And, and if you think about it, I mean, you take it one step further, you know, how do you get your mail? How do you get your mail today at your house? Oh, it yeah. doesn't come to your door, does it? It goes That's to a centralized right. mail pickup area, right? right. How do you get your packages today? For the most part, they go to your door. Right. Well, cost-wise, they move to a centralized mail pickup area for cost-wise. So, the, you know, the, the whole concept of having these micro-mobility e-hubs, um, smart e-hubs for package delivery and reverse logistics, you know, is, is coming. And, um, you know, so th- it's, it's a whole application of the technology and evolution of what we're looking at as well. Um, so we, we're really excited about how we can take not only what we're doing in the movement of product and the containers through uh, electric vehicles, but also everything else associated with optimizing, getting packages into people's hands and the movement right. of product. Right. No, that's uh, that's incredible and definitely something that's coming quickly uh, to the world and yeah. to our daily lives. So um, very exciting. Steve, changing gears a little bit here, um, the pandemic, right? The coronavirus. I'm guessing there's other applications that kind of uh, can help that that you can use. Uh, and what did you guys in general, and I'll make this a more general question to you, what was the kind of some of the key learning experiences during the pandemic? How do you guys uh, tackle it? And what did you learn from it? And how did somehow validate the understanding of this curbside delivery? You know, I, I think obviously during the pandemic, e-commerce, it, it boomed, right? and particularly grocery. You know, a lot of people who never bought groceries online, bought groceries online, and then they go, and, and we're in already about the family. So my wife was like, first day, she's buying them online. She's like, I'm done with going to the grocery right. store. And so we were, we embraced that, but others just didn't. And and, and not that you're going to stop going in your grocery store, but for some of the, I'll call it the recurring staples that you've got in your house, it's made life easy. Um, so what we did find was that um, in the beginning, the, the grocers were willing, they wanted to make sure that they kept those customers, right? You had a lot of market disruptors through third parties and startup companies that could lose a bunch of money and get you your groceries. And grocery stores don't have that luxury because most of them are publicly held or they've got operating models that don't really allow them to lose money. But they didn't lose their customers. So in, in the beginning, that was the big strain was how do we make sure we don't lose these customers, but ultimately I've got to make this profitable. So I think what the pandemic did was really amplify the fact that, hey, it's an increasing percentage of my overall business. Now I really have to look at how, how I can increase the efficiencies and optimizations around that, which is things like what we got with Tracy, uh, the e-cart, um, and also what you've seen in micro-fulfillment and automation and a number of other areas out there that have exploded because they've got to get their costs down because customers won't pay more. They've got too many options. Yeah, exactly. So uh, talking about lessons lessons learned um, during everything, with, with any kind of new innovation, new innovation, there are challenges and obstacles, right? So what, what, what sort of challenges have you, have you faced and how have you overcome them? 
Uh, I think challenges are all the time. I think one of the biggest things that um, uh, entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs like myself and, and Travis and Rashad and Anthony, um, you know, that came into the company from external um, right. uh, tech accelerators is don't get this fear of failure thing, right? It's move quickly, fail fast, learn, and then go, <laughs> right? And whenever you have a new product, particularly if it's a disruptive product, right? It's not a replacement product, right? You've sure. got replacement products that it's like, okay, I'm getting a new one of these and it's different. Right. But a total disruptive product, whereas the e-card is a disruptive product, the EVs are a replacement product. I'm replacing an ICE version with a next generation, right? You're right. going to have early adopters, et cetera, but I'm, I already, I, I know, I look at this and go, yeah, I know what it does versus something that you don't know what it does and you've got to evangelize. So part of that is just, you've got to move fast. Um, you, you're never, if, you're, if you ever think you're ready to go, you'll never go. You're not, and, right. And, you know, so, so, you know, just go, just go and figure it out while you're going. You're going to be fixing the engines on the plane while you're flying. Right. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, so, so I think those are some of the, the, the I'll say the lessons learned that we're infusing into a more traditional business on, on speed and, and how you execute. Um, but it's awesome to be able to leverage all of this, this operational excellence and quality and scale and costs and manufacturing uh, from our parent company. So it's really been just blessed to have the mix the mix of both of those that allows for a, a, a perfect tornado of opportunity for bright job. Right. Right. Good. No, it, very interesting. But yeah, definitely very interesting. And um, so I'll, I'll ask a little bit about the decarbonization part of this last mile uh, of the industry, right? Cause that's something that you mentioned earlier. It's like great for the environment, but it's better for the bottom line or the PNLs of the company. So it's, it's like you have, a win-win situation here. On one hand, you're right. saving the planet. On one hand, you're being green and you're uh, really making this world a better place in general. But on the other, of course, it represents uh, savings. And of course, companies are very interested in maximizing their profits so they can continue to compete. But what, when you think about this, um, what what is really the end goal here? How, how do you think about decarbonizing? Uh, what, what do you see in the future? So I, I think it's part in our niche, right? So in our in our niche, and, and again, if you look at General Motors, our parent company, Mary Barrett, who's been you know absolute visionary as it comes to the move to electrification and electric vehicles for all, you know, so zero congestion, um, you know, zero emissions, zero crashes, um, part of the absolute foundation that GM operates under, and we do as well. Um, so if you look at that, and you look at the specific niche that we're servicing with, um, you know, specifically taking these ICE vehicles and product movers, um, and not just for, for last mile. You know, you're going to see a lot of service companies out there. And you know, we announced Verizon as being a partner. And you'll see other people using these for service space. Wherever you see the box trucks, they're going to get replaced. Right. Um, so I, I think what you're, what you're going to see is, is next year you're going to see the start of that transformation. Um, and, and there'll be, you'll start seeing a lot of these. If you go in California right now, you'll see bright drop vehicles driving around from FedEx in the greater LA area. Uh, next year, you'll see them in probably a couple of dozen cities out there <laughs> under a couple of dozen different brands, not just FedEx, but a bunch right. of others that we ha haven't yet announced. And, and then I think 20, um, calendar year 24 is really when you're going to start seeing people go, okay, now we're going to start buying these, I'll say, in more mass quantity. 
And then in 25 is really going to be, I'll, I'll say, the, the turn year, again, in our need, where people will be buying more EVs in, our, in, in the light commercial segment than they are ICE vehicles. Wow. Um, and then ultimately, as you go through, and, and, and it varies by customer, but the replacement cycles are on average seven years. So 15% of somebody's uh, fleet, they're buying every year. Some of them turn as, as quickly as three years, some of them as long as 10 years. But if you just use seven years, 15%. So if you look at all the vehicles out there and you just get in this recurring churn where they'll be taking the ICE vehicles out of decommissioning those or selling those into the market and then bringing in the the the, uh, the electric vehicles. And then over time, your fleet just, just ultimately grows. And then by 2030, uh, we see that uh, the majority of people's fleets in the like commercial space will be EVs versus ICE. Um, Steve, I know there was a lot of research uh, that went into your your uh, vehicle. What what is what are some of the uh, some of the lessons learned uh, during that during that process? You know, it was really interesting. We actually, while we were doing it, we we you know we brought drivers in, right? We brought drivers that do this for a living and say, you know, what what do you don't like about your your current vehicle? And they're called step in vans. So these are step in, and they're designed because people that use these get in and out of them. Right, could, you know, could be over a hundred times a day. So you've got to have a really comfortable seating position. Right. You got to have easy in, egress, and, you know, getting in and out of the door. It's got to keep the, st- the 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 step height as low as possible. Which you know, as an electric vehicle, it lowers the whole vehicle. So actually, we can lower the step height getting in. Um, it, it's got to be safe. I mean, one of the things that we learned was um, as many safety features as we put on these, and we put. All of the safety features that you would expect in a luxury car or SUV, we've either put on these vehicles or are putting on these vehicles. Oh, and our customers yeah. are applauding. They're saying, yeah. great, Steve, all of the, now within reason, right? And, and, and right. Cost, but, you know, um, you know, we want as many safety uh, features that you can add to this and options as possible. Um, yeah. So that was that was a lot, you know, a lot of what we what we learned, you know, out there. We learned, you know, the behavior and how they drive and what they do and, and operate. And we applied all of those learnings right. into the vehicle that you see behind right. me today. That, that was great that you actually had the drivers coming in and, and yeah. giving you the feedback. I mean, they're, they're the ones who are going to be, you know. Well, they're arguing over it. They're arguing over who wants to drive it. So when you have these out in the fleet, people are like, no, 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 no. I, I get to drive the bright job today. It's more comfortable. You don't get the vibration. It's comfortable. It's got great air conditioning. It's got great heat. It's got heated right. seats. It's got heated steering wheel. It's got, you know, airbags. It's got early, you know, automated, um, you know, braking. It's got pedestrian warning. People get in and they're like, and, and what that does is it helps with your turnover. So as a company, if you don't, Right. So if yeah. there's a big churn in employees out there. So it, this is a big part of what they do. So if they like wow. this and they're comfortable, they're like, hey, I'm not leaving. Oh. I'm not going to go back to that. that no, exactly. I'm, I'm going to stay. Yeah, I'm going to stay in this. Yeah, they want to be on that list. <laughs> on that waiting exactly. list. <laughs> exactly. It sounds to me that you guys looked into all the different angles uh, of this problem and you actually have come up with a very unique and creative and efficient solution to this and adding just the drivers to the whole mix it's very refreshing and, and empowering right. because at the end of the day you're right they are the ones that are doing the the job right. so why they should definitely be part of the big you have part to listen of to them right absolutely absolutely it's not about the people in the back office it's about the people driving these vehicles and, and the cool thing wow. is that 
you know, our, our customers, FedEx and, and all, all the other people that move packages, you know, go and name, we haven't announced that, you know, everybody yet, but, you know, their executives and their managers have all started in the field. So, so they get it. They come they out and they're it. driving these. So they're the first ones that jump in and drive it when we go out for demo days or, or, or otherwise. Testing right. is the executives and the managers, and they know what their vehicles do. So it's really kind of cool. Like, okay, all right, I got this, I got that. And they're like, all right, this is actually drives kind of like a luxury SUV. This is kind of yeah. nice. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> no. It's, uh, I mean, congratulations to you and also to your team, to this uh, company. Uh, it's, it's, again, very inspiring to interview uh, people and companies like yours, and we're somewhat more optimistic about the future of the world when we actually talk with uh, with people like you. So, kind of to wrapping things up a little bit, I will ask you one last question: what What does logistics with purpose mean to you? So, I, I think logistics with purpose is how do you help companies serve their customers better, save money, and also be environmentally friendly. So if you look at those being able to do those three things, you're absolutely with purpose, right? Please my customers, please my shareholders, and take care of Mother Nature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect, yeah, perfect trilogy. Um, Stephen, in closing, how can our listeners uh, connect with you and with, and with Bright Drop? Uh, absolutely. Please, uh, our, our website is gobrightdrop.com. Not brightdrop.com, but gobrightdrop.com. Uh, or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, um, or follow me um, on LinkedIn as well. Um, you know, we've got lots of who are moving very quickly. And, and you know, I would say there's there's lots of incredible news that uh, we have in the plans and the works um, over the coming weeks and months as we move forward. So would uh, would love for you guys to connect with Great. us or any interest in the product or what we're doing out there. Please reach out to me and I'll make sure that we follow up with you quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve, for being here today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and getting to know your company a little bit better. Uh, We wish you the best and congratulations again. And for everyone else that's listening to episodes like this, if you like them and you enjoy kind of uh, the experience of sharing uh, this great project with uh, everyone else, just feel free to join us. And once again, Enrique Alvarez with Logistics with Purpose. Have a great day and I'll see you later. Bye.